This is another episode of Dear Analyst, and today I am very excited to have Coranda Randolph on the show. She is a senior IT manager at Clear Result, and today she's going to be talking about her experience working with all kinds of data at very big enterprise companies, including AutoTrader, SunTrust, BB&T, all different kinds of um, cool data projects. And I'm really excited to have her on the show and. Karanda, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk about your adventures in data. No, I thank you for having me on the show. This is kind of like therapy, <laughs> data therapy. <laughs> data therapy, that's exactly right. Uh, well, the first thing I ask all my guests is, uh, tell us about your background. How did you get to where you are today? All right, so uh, okay. my professional background started way back when in like the late 1990s after I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. Uh Um, I had an engineering degree, but it was more system science, but I kind of fell into IT uh, while I was in in college. And so to make a long story short, you know, I initially worked for an e-commerce company. Then I went to work for a financial company and after about, say, 10 years in the industry, I landed in Atlanta at autotrader.com. And that's where I got into data, specifically uh, customer relationship management type data. And um, that's also when I uh, fell into master data management. And from there, uh, it's been data, data ever since, either uh, mastering the data or business uh, analytics, uh, designing those systems. Got it. And so when you, just really quick, when you said you kind of fell into uh, data after graduating, was there a certain person or project or something that led you to want to pursue this industry further? Or was it just kind of where the career opportunities brought you? Um, There was probably like a particular people um, so at the University of Pennsylvania, if you had a system science engineering um, background or study, you had to pick a concentration. And a couple of my friends had concentrations in information technology. And so that just led me to take a bunch of courses with them uh, just because I wanted to be with my friends. And ironically, <laughs> yeah. I am the only one that is still in the IT field. Uh, I see. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned master data management. Can you tell us more about what that is? Um, I don't really hear that phrase too often, but I'd um, we'll love to hear you explain more about what it is. So essentially master data uh, management is like, there are different kinds of uh, data, for, for example. Most of the times when we're talking about master data management, we're talking about either customer data or product data or something like that, but it's the data that does not change very much. Like say, for example, if we were focusing on customer, it would be like your first name, your last name. Master data management, it's it's basically designing systems to uh, store customer information or product information. It's the data that does not change so much. So for example, if we were focusing on customer, it would be like your first name, last name, your date of birth, your phone number, and things of that nature. 
it's the stuff that you know uh is not transactional in nature and um can you tell us more about your experience working at auto trader um i know you worked on a really big crm data project and there are a lot of different moving parts and you're using like hadoop data mars data lakes i'm curious to hear more about that project and um, what kind of things you learned and what kind of challenges you ran into um, so I say foremost, you know, before I even can get to the Hadoop part, I really do need to, I guess, like focus on how data was mastered at sure. um, AutoTrader. Okay. So master data management is uh, a relatively new concept. It's been talked about in the last 15 years, but AutoTrader uh, was kind of like a trendsetter company because they were dealing with so much data. They kind of had to make their own technology. And so we had um, some architects that were in, really into uh, the latest data trends. And so we kind of made our own master data management system. Why this is important is because if your data is not mastered, by the time you get to your BI systems, like your data lakes, but that have, may have a Hadoop or you know your data mart uh, or your Oracle stuff, you want your data to be clean because otherwise it's not. So that's why uh, master data uh, was important. And that was one of the first things that was focused on at AutoTrader before we really went deep into making our data lake and, and data marks and stuff of that nature. Uh, we went into Hadoop um, a little bit later. Again, one of the first companies that I even heard about talking about Hadoop. Um, so it's kind of weird now because everybody's like on the Hadoop train, but <laughs> uh, we use Hadoop because we had a very intensive uh, business intelligence because we were working with a lot of auto groups and companies that needed uh, intelligent information to help drive their businesses. So it was delivering data out of those uh, particular tools uh, for dealerships and stuff to make uh, business decisions. And, and can you tell us more about like what it, took to maybe clean the data once the data is in the MDM system before it goes into the BI tool? Because um, I, I believe you're a PM, a product manager on this uh, this kind of overall project. Um, what kind of considerations or uh, things do you have to think about if you're cleaning massive amounts of data for dealerships and auto companies? I think one of the first things you have to do is like look at what's required to make sure that you don't have any missing data. And it's rather unfortunate that a lot of times when we are missing data, it's really going to come down to trying to either find a third party data source to fill in that gap or actually having to contact customers or contact, you know, uh, different parts of the business, depending on what parts of the data you're trying to master or clean. Um, you also have to look at the processes that create the data, uh, those systems of engagement that uh, say like your CRM systems or your websites, and making sure that when data is entered, that it is, you know, has all the required information and that it's like been checked. Uh, so a lot of stuff that we see in terms of data data is usually like stuff like missing, uh, uh, missing birth dates or incorrect birth dates uh, and it's most of it is due to like data injury like just wrong data injury so, and, the, and this did wrong data entry is like from someone who's working at the dealership who's like taking customer information or is it like stuff on the website or is it a mixture of different data sources 
to make sure, and that's where you get into like having to really know the data limit, like mm-hmm. what systems are creating the data that's going to flow into your system so that you can go back to them if the data is wrong or missing or dirty and say, hey, you know, your system is handing us dirty data. So it could be like data injury from like, um, let's say, okay, I'll give you a good example. So let's just say you're on um, Amazon.com and you put in your address and you type mm-hmm. it in the field. What we know Amazon to do is to validate your address right there on the front end and say, hey, do you really mean this address? Because they have a tool to standardize the address and store it in your database. Mm-hmm. But a lot of systems don't have that standardization there. And so I could type, you know, oh, I could type spell out overlook, for example, but, you know, it, it, it won't be um, standard. It won't be regular. And the system may not recognize it as a legitimate address because it wasn't standardized first or it wasn't checked by that front end system. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, in terms of like trying to find the missing data, like what, I guess this is kind of digging more into the tools and systems you used at AutoTrader. How, were you like looking for, I guess, were you notified about missing data through like looking at the data in Excel or was it through some other system where you are able to see like, okay, we're missing all these birthdays or addresses or whatever. Um, how does your, how did your team figure out like data was missing in the first place? A lot of it is just through using SQL, you okay. know, yeah. on the back end to like see it. Sometimes it's uh, Excel, but because we're dealing with so much data, a lot of times it's just SQL. We have other reporting tools that we, you know, can use to like we, you know, could put it through our system and pull it, you know, through SAS or Tableau or something like that so that we can see mm-hmm. something more visual. But it's usually just through SQL saying, hey, you know, how many names are missing, you know, in the database? Got it. Okay. Um, and I guess in terms of the project of creating, uh, since AutoTrader created their own MDM system, um, what was the final like result or impact that having your own kind of homegrown MDM system had on the company? Like I'm guessing dealerships had better data, but curious if you can, anything you can speak to in terms of the impact that having an MDM system had for AutoTrader? We always make sure we had like uh, one version of the truth, one one version of, of a dealer instead of having, you know, dealer uh, A be calling, uh, called dealer A, B here and dealer C, D mm-hmm. there. We wouldn't know before the, the, we had master data management that we were talking about the same dealer. Right. But because we have cleaned the data and mastered it and stored it in a central location, now we know hey, AB is the same as BA dealer. Uh, we know this because we have a central customer number. Uh, we're pointing, all the systems are pointing to the same, you know, master system and, and pulling the information. Uh, before that, um, you could have like, say if you're a dealer and you could receive almost like two bills, for example, just because oh, wow. your name was spelled differently in the system mm-hmm. and right. it's not master. And we didn't know that you were the same customer. Mm. So it it has a, a, a profound like operational uh, impact. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh, one comment you made when you were when we were talking about this uh, MDM system for AutoTrader was you mentioned that like in your last like ten or twenty years of working with data, you've seen data analysts becoming 
like more powerful or more important than uh, engineers. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you can speak more about like why you think data analysts are becoming more important because, you know, this podcast is all about data analysis and data analysts, business analysts. Um, curious what you think about data analysts compared to the engineers who are building the systems. That's a great question. I think like um, a business is most valuable asset is its data mm -hmm. and how that's put together and how it's reported out. And so and a lot of times when we are building systems, we're thinking more in terms of the functional pieces. Mm -hmm. And I think we become masters of making great test cases and, and uh, scenarios for functional pieces to make sure, hey, that I can enter information and that it makes it from point A to point B. But what we have not done such a good job of, but we are getting better, is like, is it the right information going from mm. point A to point B? <laughs> right. And that is why data analytics is so important. Um, and you're seeing it. It's also moving more from an operational focus to more predictive uh, analytics. So being able to forecast and being able to kind of like tell what's going to go on in the uh, future with like trends and businesses and stuff so that we can become more proactive rather than reactive. Super interesting. Yeah, the I think that's a really interesting way of looking at how data analysts can help drive the business forward, which is not just reporting on the past, but helping predict or forecast the future, like you said. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess the second kind of big project I that we talked about was, um, it sounds like it's also working with messy data, but merging client data between um, SunTrust and BB&T. Um, I was wondering if you can give a quick overview of, well, first of all, what, who SunTrust and BBNT are, and then also what was the problem that you were trying to solve in terms of merging client data? So SunTrust and BBNT are both uh, banks. They were mm -hmm. uh, both kind of like on the East Coast and Southern uh, parts of the United States. Uh, before merger, they were probably like around 12, 13 in terms of size of assets and stuff in uh, U.S. banking. Um, they decided to merge to become like the sixth or seventh largest, largest bank uh, because the banks kind of had overlapping footprint. Uh, one of the first problems or things we had to look at was like, you know, how many customers are the same for each, you know, um, for each uh, bank. And to mm -hmm. do that, we had to find commonalities. And again, you're going to go to your back to the master data management thing, to your mm -hmm. birth dates, to looking at addresses, to looking at, you know, um, first names and last names and things of that nature so that we can identify our common customers. Why was this important? Because there are a bunch of federal rules out there that said, hey, you can't like... Um, deposit but so much money in a day uh, without be going on special reports and stuff and so we had to be able as soon as we announced that merger legally we had to be able to report on people that were in both banks even though they were still underneath their same names but legally they were one entity now um, so we had to be able to identify those customers so that we could apply those rules to it so that was like one thing. Um, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. All the dirty data 
having <laughs> the right you know, birthday addresses and yep. that kind of information. We have to go and look and clean up. And then, you know, because it takes a while to do a merger, to merge the data and, uh, and to decide which systems you're going to use from each bank, especially if it's like a merger of equals and not just a takeover. Mm-hmm. Um, we really had to be careful about like uh, it took about two years. So we had to be careful about the processes that were creating data. Because like certain processes, as I talked about earlier, may still be creating like um, the dirty data or missing data. So we had to really like truly like list every process of every piece of the bank. Mm. And there were thousands and thousands of systems in both banks, if you can imagine that. Right. Um, you know, as a customer, you just see it as one bank. But, you know, as a engineer or IT professional, you see the thousands of systems that go into, you know, creating that 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 one appearance. So that mm-hmm. was a lot of it, trying to make the data clean, make it so that we could merge the data sets, you know, looking for the common grain in the data, you know, um, the first names, the last names. And so pretty much in both systems, you're going to have that. But we had to go through and look at like, you know, the field sizes, from one system to the other and make a decision on what, you know, the field size may be like for a name, for example, SunTrust may have had a, a character limit of 50 and BB&T may have 40. So which is it going to be, you know? Mm. So you have to do like things like that um, to uh, merge the data. It takes a while. It, it, it takes a, a, a long time. And that's when the analysts came in to really heavily to profile the data, to tell us what we were missing to tell us what didn't look right. And so we could go after those processes that were creating the data. Interesting. And I, I guess just kind of to pick up on that specific uh, thing about field sizes, where you're saying like one process might require 50 characters, another process might require 40 characters. How do you, I guess, what are some of the other considerations you could think about to pick like even the right number of characters to put in a field size? Like, how does that decision get made? Is it like someone up top saying, we, we're going to have 40 characters? Or is there actually like a business case for picking, you know, 40 characters over 50 characters? So a lot of that has to do with um, the system limitations too. Oh, so it depends on what system you picked. So if we were to put that data into BB&T system, for example, then that would mean that we would have to find a way to either truncate Um, SunTrust's data name, for example, from the 50 characters to the 40 characters, if we chose, you know, the BB&T system, or we would have to consider, like, uh, increasing the size. Now, a lot of times, um, engineers will make those kinds of of decisions as to what to do, uh, which way to Mm go. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a lot of it also depends on the business processes, and the business has to be involved in making those kinds of decisions because if you know that you have a lot of business clients that have long names, for example, uh, you're not going to want your names truncated. And mm-hmm. so it was a lot of trade-off. And that's why it takes a long time to do a merger. Imagine right. having to do that for almost every piece of data that you have in a company and not just say, you know, the fixed data, like the master data, but also like your uh, transactional data as well. Right. So that's why mergers take a long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you said that the analysts came in to profile the data to help you figure out what processes didn't look like, what data didn't look like. Were they also just 
running SQL queries as well and giving you a report on what was missing so you can help figure out like what we need to do or was there another system they used to figure out what data was like dirty? So for the most part, they did use like a lot of SQL queries. Um, I think Abinitio was uh, used as well as our like, uh, I would say like data management or data governance type tool. What was it so really called again? kind of helped so? us even uh, with something as simple as defining what the field is. Those kinds of definitions and stuff were kept there. Okay. Um, what was the tool called again that you mentioned? Touch what were you going to say? What was that tool called you mentioned that the analysts used that wasn't SQL? Abinitio. Abinitio. Okay. I never heard of it, but I'll leave that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it just helps us. Um, that was the tool that we mainly use, you know, within, say, uh, SunTrust, for example, to do uh, our data profiling for data governance reasons and, and stuff like that to look at our data. It also right. store it like our data definitions uh, mm -hmm. and such. And so sometimes we would use those tools, but again, good old SQL <laughs> is, is, is our friend. Yeah, every single person I've talked to has basically said, if you want to become an analyst, data analyst specifically, like just learn SQL and that will be like the most important tool or language to learn. And of course, you know, understanding how to use Excel and Google Sheets, but SQL has been by far the most like common language that I've heard from other folks on the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I know we're getting close to wrapping up on time, and um, uh, from your experience, I, I mean, you're you were and you still are deep into the data world of cleaning data, cleaning dirty data, finding missing data. Um, any kind of like high level takeaways you might be able to give you know, current data analysts or even data managers about how to work with these kinds of projects? Because it, it feels like you have to be deep in the weeds of this stuff. Um, but at the same time, the bigger picture is, you know, you have to get a merger done. You have to be able to drive business results for, you know, dealerships. Any key takeaways you can give the audience from your experience working on these different projects? Um, I would say that a lot of companies don't track their data lineage. And that's meaning like where the data is created, through where it's mastered, through where it's reported. I think that is one of the most important things to have because you never know when you're going to have a merger or mm -hmm. you never know when you're going to have to make a system change. You need to figure out what's going to be impacted if I change, say, a field type or if I change something or add something. So just having data lineage is such a key to really you know, being able to have good data to profile uh, and to report. Uh, and so I would say that is the one thing that a lot of companies are missing. And if you are having to backtrack to do data lineage, a lot of companies will not probably want to even invest in it, but it's so important to have. So if you're starting a company, just you know keep those charts, keep those data flow diagrams, keep them up to date so that you know as you grow and you cobble systems together, you know where your data is going. And you know that if I make this change, it's gonna be seen here, 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 and here so that you can check those uh, places. So I guess that's yeah. my piece of advice. <laughs> okay, who, who do you think is in charge of keeping those data flow diagrams in charge? Is it the data engineering team? Is it like the CTO or CIO? Like what, I'm curious, like what organizationally, where does that, responsibilities sit usually from your perspective? So 
I think it's like joint responsibility. I think it's okay. like if you have a data management team, it would sit with them and with like the system architects to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of companies don't have like strictly data governance or data management type people. So right. it rests with the architects keeping their documents and their flow diagrams up to date and in a central location. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious if like, cause you, you have like database administrators. I wonder if they are the right person to manage these data flow diagrams, but there's, I think, I feel like a DBA is a little different from a systems architect, right? Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be a DBA. They would be a piece into it. They would have input into it probably, mm-hmm. but they won't see the overall picture because you know right. your data has to move. And so and sometimes you use like ETL or some other type of uh, API and it transforms the data through movement. Mm-hmm. So all those things have to be captured about the data in the data lineage process. And so that's why a DBA wouldn't be exactly the person to maintain it or be responsible for it, but more or less uh, the person would be uh, have input. So you really do need a systems type of person or a tech lead or someone like that. Right. Who can see the overall big picture of like all aspects of the data lineage, as you said. Right. Yeah. Or even sometimes the product owners, if you have product owners and product managers, because they see the business side of it as well, where the data is getting created. So sometimes those may be used to keep track of where data is going. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, great. This is really great. I, I think um, one last quick question is, do you have any advice for uh, people who are graduating and getting into data analysis or even for folks who are kind of doing a career transition into data any kind of high-level advice you'd have for people that are looking to get a career in data? Um, I think it's a little bit more than just SQL. You actually have to be able to tell the story because right. you can pull the data out and you know if you can't communicate what's going on or what the data is showing, then that's going to be a problem because you want to impact change within an organization, change for, for good. Um, so just being able to communicate and being able to to be that visionary and being able to show the more that you're able to display the data in a way like graphs and charts and make it in layman's terms, the more uh, your senior execs and folks will come along with you. Right. It's so interesting. I, I That's also a really common skill I hear from other people on the show. And it's almost like the Number two skill besides SQL is to be a good storyteller, which is something you might not hear too often for a data analyst, but it's like you said, very important to be able to actually have impact. Yes. Yes. Well, Karanda, thank you so much for um, your time and explaining to us all about MDM and your history working with data. And um, we're really excited to uh, share this with the audience and um, maybe we'll do a round two in the future as uh, you work on more data projects. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for being my data therapist today. (laughs) No problem. Thank you. Mm -hmm.